0: You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal Or measure them all by box office appeal But for once in your life Be real! Disagreeing with me won't bring back your goddamn honey Welcome one and all to Be Real Your movie reviewing and reappraising and genre hopping movie podcast. My name's Chance Solem And I'm Noah Ballard. We are together again in the midsummer to talk about Midsommar and other nature cult films. You know how we do this show. We always uh, wrap a trio of movies around a similar genre, so we're talking about the new Ari Aster horror movie, which is doing alright at the box office, but is really making... Is it? What's it looking like? It made like $10 million its opening weekend, which is a lot for this fucked up you know, already two and a half hour movie. Right. Yeah. There's nobody in it except for like Sheedy from, uh, the good place. Right. Exactly. I mean, well, how hereditary made $50 million. I do not know. Um, yeah, yeah, more than that. When you count it international box office, which I famously don't, um, famously disregarding the international box office. That's why I'm so confused about the state of movies today. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk with Samar as well as 1984's Children of the Corn and The Wicker Man, b- bated breath to find out which one. No, you want to tell people which one?
1: Well, Chance is going to talk about the like the first one from the 70s, right. and then I just watched the 2006 one because it was free on HBO, and it's famously the Nicolas Cage like jump, uh, what is that, a shark kind of... Mm. movie
0: yeah uh i mean i'm watching, <laughs> for the podcast today i also watched the remake uh yeah the 70s one is a little harder to find so i watched it for some context i'll talk about it a bit but
1: uh yeah not all of us have uh subscriptions to the the criterion collection
0: that's right comma chance um,
1: comma chance <laughs>
0: <laughs> anything we want to say before uh we dive in here about what anything C- cults Yeah. Have you ever, like, gotten a wild hair to uh, go put on a robe somewhere and worship a pagan god?
1: There is something kind of appealing about, like, (laughs) after a bleak tragedy, (laughs) like, going off to Sweden Mm -hmm. and, like, hanging out in the sun and doing some mushrooms. Right. Uh, But I don't think I've ever gotten the the cosmic tickle of like wanting to join a cult. I'm pretty skeptical of organized religion. Yeah, so we're not joiners. Cults don't really appear to me, appeal to me. Right. Um, There's always that moment in all these movies though, where it's like, okay, like maybe this works and you sort of break it down in your mind. Like, well, why is it working? Like, is it because of a supernatural thing or is it because they've like weirdly sort of disrupted a flaw in, like, contemporary Western society. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it always... They always take it too far. Right. But Midsommar, should we get into it? Let's
0: start with Midsommar. So, this is the sophomore film from uh horror auteur Ari Aster, who made a lot of... I feel like
1: you need to make more than two movies to be called an auteur.
0: Yeah, but he's, like, on that track, for sure. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Um... But he's made two movies of a very distinct vision in 24 months.
1: Yeah, the fact that they've come out so quickly is sort of funny.
0: And I was listening to an interview with him yesterday where he said, like, yep, I have like 11 scripts in my drawer, and I'm committed to picking between them next. Um, and he has this very... The ones that he wrote yes, are like people are throwing th- His okay. own. But they're not like your standard popcorn horror movies. They're art films, and there's a lot of drama therein. You know what I think Ari
1: Aster, or who I think Ari Aster could become, Who's unfortunately, that? is a Darren Aronofsky acolyte.
0: Uh-huh. Because these first
1: possible. two movies have like a lot in common, I would say, with like Pi, Requiem for a Dream, kind of grotesque but arty, kind of... I don't know. So we'll have to see. We'll see if he like turns towards the Bible next well, <laughs> cuz that just feels it feels uh <laughs> like it's coming. That's
0: a, I think it's a fair point except I would say that the kind of work he's making now feels so devious that he would never make that turn into like next I'm going to be interested in uh old beaten down like white men. The story of Jonah and the whale. <laughs> and, and like Noah. Um <laughs> uh, so yeah, Midsommar is out from A24 just like a year after Hereditary. He said that he went into production on this movie like the minute he was done doing press for the previous film. Um, you want to synopsize? Damaged couple
1: dealing with some extreme trauma Yeah, travels to Sweden under the auspices of a graduate program research trip um, and ends up at the hometown of one of their swedish colleagues in this graduate program and he grew up in a fucking cult (laughs) Uh and slowly and violently much like any horror movie the gang that goes is like slowly picked off right
0: right i
1: don't want to spoil too much of it if you haven't seen it because i think like the way it unfolds is somewhat compelling without ruining it
0: yeah let's do like a no spoiler section and then a spoiler section perhaps
1: beautiful i invited danny to come to sweden you know what she's been going through. christian says you've got this special week planned
0: it's sort of a crazy festival special ceremonies and dressing up that sounds
1: fun Unbelievable.
0: Welcome, and happy midsummer. School.
1: What time is it? 9 PM.
0: That can't be right, the sky is blue. This is what 9 PM is like here. <laughs> so yeah, Florence Pugh and Jack Raynor uh, are the, the couple at the center. They are Danny and the aptly named Christian. <laughs> Perhaps a little on the nose. Um, But, uh, and then their friends are, uh, Will Poulter and William Jackson Harper, like leaning pretty hard into what they do, like very academic, serious, good friend on William Jackson Harper's part and Will Poulter just being like a big piece of shit. Just like,
1: Oh my God. Just like sucking on his vape, being like, where are the chicks? Right.
0: (laughs) Are we still stopping at that club in Stockholm? (laughs) It's like, dude, (laughs) you are like practically to the North pole. Um, let me ask you, what is the likelihood that
1: Wilhelm Blomgren like, has an acoustic EP like out there on <laughs> iTunes? <laughs> of course, I'm talking about the actor who plays Pele, yeah. uh, the guy who's bringing them into this cult, the Swedish guy, who's really charming.
0: He is. Yeah, he's an important kind of force in the movie. Um, and I guess I've used that phrase intentionally, like, Uh, While the interactions between these characters like feel very life bound in their pain and their needling and you being like, you know, there's a point in the movie where Christian can't remember how long he's been in the relationship with Danny and he's like three and a half years and she's like no four and there's an inherent discomfort to that interaction anyway But there's a double discomfort, at least for me, when I was like, you guys have been like this for four years? That is so long. But every time you kind of like hear about like your worst friends breaking up, you're like, oh, wow, that relationship was twice as long as I thought it was. Well,
1: let me ask you this pretty early on. Do you think that their relationship is like emotionally abusive? Like, do you think Christian himself is an abuser? Yes. I agree with you. I think if you look at the language used in those early scenes about like, you know, I'm not mad that you're going, I'm just like confused as to why you didn't tell me. And then his sort of retreat into like, well, why are you attacking me? Yeah. Is so like the coded language of like, just, standard textbook gaslighting of a romantic partner.
0: You can feel it almost more, I think, it almost in, like, Danny's recoil than his sort of offensive. Like, and it really hurts in the beginning after this, like, tragedy she undergoes to see her be like, no, 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 no babe, like, you're totally fine. Like, she totally just gets bullied, like, five right. or six times in a row, down to taking mushrooms, like, the minute they put boots on the ground.
1: That's such an interesting sequence, too, when they, like, bully her into taking the mushrooms... And then he even says, like, "Well, it's not going to be, like, well, I won't do it if you won't do it." But he doesn't do it in like a loving sort of, "I'll be there for you" way. It's like you're going to ruin my trip yeah. because, like, the trips aren't going to
0: line up. The social awkwardness. I almost feel
1: like if she wasn't around, if Danny wasn't around, then Christian would be as bad as
0: Mark. Mm-hmm. The Will-Polter like that's character.
1: sort of the the question for me. And what's interesting about like the poles of these two or these the characters that are around them is: Am I Josh or am I Mark when Danny's not around? Right, that's and true. And he sort of fluctuates between like shitty douchey guy to by like the clim- more climactic part of the movie, he's like, "No, I'm an intense graduate student who's like on the cusp of something great." Right, right. Um, it's like you're neither of these. You're a fraud, bro.
0: I think one thing we can talk about without spoiling it, though, is the way in which both of those sort of masculine poles are used in this movie as kind of, like, American tropes to be beaten down. Because, like, the Swedes are very funny in this movie. And at one point, the joke, like, reaches the text, right? Right. So one of, one of them I can't remember is like, so where do I go in this ritual? And one of the cloaked men in a very kind of sly way is just like, you're American, just force your way in or, so, or something like that. Right. But that's all over this movie. My f- The thing I found funny in a movie that I found surprisingly funny at a lot of points yes. is after this horrible act of violence, um, you know the josh the william jackson harper character is there to study them like he's taking notes the whole time he's asking questions he's doing anthropological surveys and that's a good
1: sort of narrative device too in that because these movies all need a little explaining like what i'll get into with children of the corn and the wicker man is like both of them sort of lack that anthropologist that social anthropologist in the script being like why are you doing this? Like, what are your customs? Like, you know, and they don't have to be, they're not clear as day and not so much. So to like, you know, be so specific as to be able to poke holes in whatever, like religious, spiritual cult they're participating uh, in. But yeah, I really kind of liked his probing way into the script and into this story.
0: Yeah, totally. The, the joke I was going to come back to though, is Christian who seems to be just like, what, Burning up whatever stipend he has Has not decided Like witnesses this horrible act of violence And just like turns to his friend He's like bro I'm gonna do my thesis on this Which is like The dumbest yet academic thing I think like a douchey American Could possibly say And I already asked her In an interview I heard Was just like I just thought that was so fucking funny And I I thought that was the funniest (laughs) part Of the movie too
1: I think that whole thread Of them being graduate students uh, clearly, in this like six to eight year PhD right. or whatever at,
0: at, at nowhere university with no and, no, age. and
1: fully funded at nowhere university, <laughs> yeah, um, is such a funny thing. And, like, I I feel like I've been close to that. I mean, with the writers that I work with in the MFA programs, I visit various people in various stages of their lives uh, working on creative projects. It, like, just rang so true to me. These guys, like, all hang out and, like, feel very self-important and be like, yeah, like, now we're going to Sweden for a month. But they're not doing anything yet. But they haven't actually done the thing. Right. They're just sort of, like, posturing around the thing. And I think that's such an interesting take Two, because these movies have that, as I was speaking about earlier, that moment of like, does this cult make sense? Well, in order for that does this cult make sense moment to occur, you have to look back at the societies which they're leaving right, totally. and have holes poked in those. Mm-hmm. And all three of these movies like have their attempt at that. But I think this one's so funny. Right. Is like you know, what are you going to do when you get back? It, like, do this thesis and then grow old and not be able to retire. And if you do retire, like, end up in some hospice care. Yeah. Like, kind of, like, is this your life? Like, really poking at that Western idea of accomplishment and also, like, the aging process. And there's this there's this great moment, I think, in the movie where uh, Pele breaks down the sort of seasons of one's life. Yep. And it's so true to, like, what these kids are going through. They're, like, not quite adults yet, but they're, like, searching for that thing. And I think that's so freeing to be, like, until you're 36, like, you don't need to have any idea what's going on. And then when you're 36, then you real put you really put in the work. I mean, and that sort of does line up with, you know, your academics out there sure. and sort of your apprenticeship careers in this country. But I think we like refuse to give it that name, so that's what becomes attractive about Midsommar. Right, I think the cult there.
0: Can we talk about Swedes? Can I rap about Let's Swedes? Let's talk about a little Swedes. Bit? You're
1: a little bit Swedish, aren't you? Uh,
0: how dare you? I'm um, Norwegian, but I did spend Sorry. a summer in Sweden. Um, yeah,
1: during the cold Swedish winter, and- <laughs> you and uh, you and Jens Lekman just going out into the.
0: I was hanging out in Jens's hometown, which is a uh, pretty. Pretty far south of where this is taking place But still there was probably only Two hours of darkness a night um, But part of the great Kind of oil and water Comedy here is like a Deep read on Swedish people And the way in which their polite Not only their politeness but their earnestness Is Like Americans like just don't understand it It's like are you fucking with me right now Right um, Because you're you're taking this very seriously But you're also being pretty nice about it uh, there's that great. But you're
1: also yeah, you have this weird, creepy
0: smile. Right. The, you know, instead of the cult leader being like, "Scream if you want to." There's no cops for three hundred miles. They say, "Well, you can't both take the van to the airport. There, you might get a traffic ticket." And
1: they 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 disarm the Western people when they start asking questions with their politeness, because these Americans are only used to speaking in the vernacular of rudeness. Yeah. That when they're like,
0: they throw something (laughs) simple out
1: as like, you can't have three people in a two-person car. You'll get a ticket. Right. Like, what do you do with that?
0: What else can we say about this movie without spoiling? Did you find it scary?
1: I found it terrifying.
0: Okay. Is that, that's the same as scary? I thought it was,
1: but not like jump scary. I mean, have you seen Hereditary? Like, I think Hereditary has more jump scares than this one does. This one has almost none, but I think it's, I mean, every critic in the world has like made some witty quip about the fact that like now you're afraid of the sun. Right. Cause like the whole thing takes place out, uh, outdoors for the most part. And during the daylight hours. Um, but I think it's still like, there are some set pieces that are like really fucking scary. Yes. And the way the violence kind of like creeps up on you is terrifying. The way, that sort of big violent moment happens in Hereditary.
0: Yeah, I think I ne- my heart never like went into my throat like it did when she's in the corner of the room in Hereditary. But there, yeah, there's something about the rhythm of this where it's like, right. is that going to happen? 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 And then like, you know, there's blood everywhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know from the moment, and maybe this is too spoilery, but whatever, but you know from the moment that you see the cliff and then like the big rock under the cliff that looks like like human sized yes. <laughs> like if a human like put it his wingspan out in all directions like it would be roughly this you know perimeter of space yeah the circumference um and you know they're going to jump there's like just no way and then you kind of morbidly i think what's scary about it is you morbidly like we're like just fucking jump yes. and then you're like why are you why am i saying that brain just because I see the images in front of me, I like want these old people to jump, but then you get what you wish for, and it's horrifying. And you're like,
0: why did I want that? Why did this movie want and then that then The me?
1: camera will not look away from the gore that you have almost wished upon yourself.
0: I think that you and I are really on the same page is that like the sense of inevitability takes a lot of like the sting out of the hurt and the scares, but it's replaced by just sort of like, you know, a sense of utter suspension like witnessing this horror which is like do i find this funny did i invite this somehow like right. what's going on but that's the question that the characters sort of have yep. too yeah i mean i think danny has this
1: question of like she's not really as horrified by the violence she's more horrified by like the little sort of betrayals that she sees and so it's sort of interesting to see the movie through her eyes and say, like, yeah, did I invite this on myself? I, I mean, I took the drugs. So, like, is this happening? Like, I drank the tea. So, like, is this what's, like, I, I could have said no. And I've, I've chosen not to say no. And it becomes this weird sort of movie about, you know, what we consent to in relationships. And, like, how we get steamrolled. And then how, like, from that place of anger we assert ourselves violently. Mm-hmm. And, like, settle the scores that need to be settled.
0: Let's hear a quick word from our lovely sponsor, then we'll come back and do a spoilery talk about Midsummer and rate this, uh, rate this Daylight Puppy. Restart.
1: This podcast is brought to you by California College of the Arts MFA in Writing Program. Getting an MFA at their art school setting in San Francisco means that you can write and paint, write and design, and write and make a film. You can also write and write. Look for their MFA faculty member, Tom Barbash's novel, The Dakota Winters, out from Echo. And their alum, Adam Nemet, and podcast favorites, We Can Save Us All, out now from unnamed press. For more information, open an internet browser and type in www.cca.edu slash writing MFA.
0: Do you have any issues with this movie?
1: I think some of the characters are pretty flat, but I think that's almost on purpose. Like, I think the movie is not about, you know, whether or not these graduate students feel grounded. It's about Danny's finding a replacement for her family Mm -hmm. and settling the scores of what's holding her back. And I think that they are, they feel sort of distant on the screen is because the movie is from her POV and they are distant. And they are kind of douchey stereotypes. So I didn't find that much wrong with how sort of minimally they're developed. Uh, the other thing is the movie's very long. Yeah. I almost think you cut out the first act of this movie and you're almost left with a stronger movie.
0: You mean the the insane tragedy of her family?
1: I think her doing like a... Uh, captain quint monologue about the death of her parents and sister or just having those quick cut scenes of the things she thinks about when she sees the violence would be enough to because that first 15 minutes is fucking brutal well
0: and it shifts it throws the um like the movie off its axis a little bit because it's such a memorable horrifying powerful thing to happen that yes. only really comes back around in Florence Pugh's acting. There's kind of a weird cheap jump scare in the middle that didn't really work well, for me. Well, that's the thing.
1: Why develop her character so well if by comparison all the other characters like don't have a story nearly that interesting?
0: A lot of the best parts of the movie go to ultimately humiliating these guys. And that's like part of the fun of it. That's like the American thing. That's the thing we want to see. Well, it becomes a revenge movie, yes. Yes, but she she can't be humiliated. She's not the jerk that the rest of them are. So like this weird sort of thing happens to me that also is kind of reflected in Hereditary where I don't know who the most important character of the movie is because it would really seem to be Florence Pugh and it would really seem to be Tony Collette. But, like, in the way that screen time is shared or not down the stretch, it's like, why am I spending so much time with Jack Rayner right now? Well, that's the thing. Like, she can find
1: him having sex with that teenager around all those naked women right. without any, like, lead-up to that. And it's interesting that Ari Astor's concerned with giving him, like, a reason of, like, oh, well, they did this to him. Right. It's 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 sort of forgiving of his bad behavior when the movie doesn't need to be. This is all to say, I think the movie's overly complicated when it doesn't need to be. Right. And because I think you need to build, if you build up to some of the scenes of violence that come at the end of the movie and you don't have that haunting hoses, fucking taped to the mouth, suicide murder sister. Yeah. Like it's almost scarier, isn't it? I
0: think so. I think... Yeah, you know, I again, I hate to undo what we were complimenting earlier, but, like, I think there is a way this... I Most movies will work better as tighter movies, and I think this is no exception. It's two
1: and a half hours. You know, this is an hour... This is, like, a two-hour movie Yeah, that doesn't need that that part to it. Some of the um, ways
0: of showing psychedelia are so creative, too, with, yes. like, the occasional flower, that I think that the time suspension would still work.
1: I totally agree with you. Um but those are nitpicky things, I feel like. This is an interesting movie. Yes, for sure. And I think particularly interesting is uh, Florence Pugh. Right. Who's fabulous. I have like a little, you know how I like big faces, Chance. So. <laughs> yeah. Florence is right up my uh, right up my. You know, alley. she was
0: in Lady Macbeth last year. She was I haven't in, seen that. Have you seen that? I have not. She was in Fighting With My Family earlier this year, that wrestling movie. I don't know what that is. I really like the casting of her not only because she's a really good actress but I think a thing also happens in this movie where you see her in the beginning and I really recognize her as like a a young blonde short woman I went to college with in Nebraska um but what happens as the movie goes along and like you know her ponytail and sweatshirt kind of fall by the wayside And, like, so does, like, everything she's wearing on the outside of her more metaphorically. And becomes this kind of, like, European um, piece of expressionism that, like, you get closer to who Florence Pugh, the dynamic British actress, actually is. And I think that's a great bit of casting.
1: Absolutely. And I think, I mean, to spoil it, the ending where she gets her revenge i mean if you see the whole movie from her vantage of like hey i've lost my family and my agency and like a tragic traumatic event, and the thing more tragic about it is it revealed that i really don't have a safety network around me i'm surrounded by selfish people who are too afraid to assert what they want Mm mm-hmm And then this experience allows her to not only find – I thought that scene was brilliant where it's her and, like, the dozen women screaming on the floor because it's juxtaposed perfectly with the scene of her and Christian at the beginning where she's crying and he, like, doesn't know how to comfort her. And what she needs is a group of people, a group of women around her just, like, feeling that moment with her, like, feeling that pain and just, like, letting it out and giving her the permission to, like – ugly cry yeah very true and so when that does happen after she catches him cheating uh in that bizarre orgy scene um it it feels good and so then when she ultimately sacrifices him at the end there's just that turn of like yeah fuck you guy oh yeah it's
0: very earned catharsis
1: yeah Yep. and and you sort of has that like I find myself having her Mona Lisa smile at the end, <laughs> yeah. where it's like she sees this douche who like didn't have the balls to break up with her, like just fucking you know in a gourd bear just getting <laughs> burned alive,
0: yeah, unable to move because he's uh, fucking anesthetized on herbs. Okay, so Noah, can I ask you pointedly? I feel like you're either gonna say this movie is a good good which is well-made and entertaining or a good bad, which is well-made and a tough hang. Where are you going to fall?
1: I think I'm going to go with good, bad. I think this is a well-made movie. I really enjoyed it. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I think it's one of the better movies I've seen this year. Yeah. But according to our rating system, I think because it is very long, it is a gauntlet. And because it's, and horror movies always run the risk of being like, not that rewatchable. And I think this one, because it doesn't have, like, that tight kind of classic horror thing to it, because there is that, like, oh, God, I have to put on this movie now where I know that, like, I'm going to see her parents fucking die in this really traumatic way. Yeah. Like, that's just, like, a reason not to turn on the movie.
0: Yeah, I'd probably say good, bad, too. I admire a lot of it. Um, I, I don't think you agree with this, but I like Hereditary slightly more. Um, I think just because it's, like, Somehow more to the point Even in it's like insanity at the end Um, I think there's a lot to think about in this one We didn't even talk about their sort of like Oracle Who I think is a great and disturbing metaphor For like where anyone's God comes from Um, But like boy There is a lot of psychedelic fat on this movie Which is also just like not my thing Um, I came out with like a Out of the theater with some critics who were like you know, mushroom folks either now or like at some point in their life and they're like, that was great. And that's just like never been my bag. And a lot of what other people think are good psychedelic movies tend to fall good, bad for me. Interesting. All right.
1: Children of the corn. Had you seen this movie before chance? No idea. I had, I saw it at a Halloween party, uh, in the uh, fall of 2004. Wow. I was a freshman in high school And I went to Nikki Nikki Kaplinger's Halloween party in Robbinsville and we watched it. I don't think I caught any of it now rewatching because (laughs) I didn't remember a a moment. I remember um, Malachi shouting Outlander, but that's like basically
0: it. Well, I suppose one of my big questions for a movie that like, frankly, did not keep me that interested is like, why is this movie? Why does everybody like know this property because it didn't make very much money was not successful in a critical sense um you've read the story you'll talk about it in a bit is not one of his better works um is it just because it's a memorable premise and memorable name like why the hell do people know this movie i have no idea um also john
1: franklin the guy who plays isaac always ends up in like a page six of like where are the child actors now, sure. like retrospectives? And it's always like, oh, yeah, the kid from Children of the Corn. Like, I knew John Franklin, but I don't know, like, why. I, I, I share your curiosity and your befuddlement <laughs> of why this is a thing. Oh, I have no idea. And whose choice it was at that Halloween party to watch this movie, I have no idea. At Jersey Kids, too,
0: not even Nebraskans.
1: Maybe that's, like, why the people on the East Coast are afraid of, yeah. you know, traveling you to the Midwest. You fucking because should be. Of film. It's films like <laughs> Children of the Corn.
0: Omaha. <laughs> um, How many people does that have in it? My partner, Sarah, did have a funny story as I was popping this in, though, where she was like, in high school, we, like, lobbied my principal really hard to make our yearbook themed Children of the Corn. And he was like, do you guys know, like, what that is? And they were like, no, but, like, it's perfect. And he's like, so none of you have seen it? And they're like, no, but it, like, really describes us. And he's like, we're not doing that. (laughs) And if you've seen this movie, you can imagine, like, a small town high school principal heading that idea off.
1: Yeah, that's something that would go viral these days. Yeah. Or be like a meme of some kind. Well, that I think that leads us nicely to the premise. If you don't know the pre- premise for Children of the Corn, uh, the titular children, because of the corn, question mark? Well, the titular corn. The, t- <laughs> the titular children, at the behest of the titular <laughs> corn, <laughs> murder all the adults in town. Oh, And no. then start a society that's only people under the age of 19
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and the corn thrives. But nobody seems to notice other than Peter Horton and Linda Hamilton, Bert and Vicky respectively, who are driving from the New York to Seattle.
0: I had no idea.
1: And they end up in outside Gatlin, Nebraska, which is not a real place. Not real. And, they think that they hit a kid with their car, but it turns out both in the movie and in the story, like in a very like strange way, it's like, Oh, that ki- we didn't hit that kid with his car. His <laughs> throat's cut. Can't you see his throat's cut? Like that wouldn't be my first turn. No. Wouldn't be like, let's inspect the body to make sure he was dead when we hit him with our car. Right. So, well, it's was just moments from
0: death. He was, he was going to die anyway. We just put him out of his misery just one of so many opportunities in this story slash movie that like could have been like you know rung out for so much more drama and so many more interesting dynamics that is just completely undone but like he's a doctor he checked his body we're fine
1: yeah the car didn't slit his throat a knife did right. i'm a doctor
0: <laughs> every child is afraid of the dark the unknown
1: The nightmare. In Gotham, Nebraska, that nightmare is in the corn. Ah! Stephen King's Children of the Corn.
0: Stephen King, the author of *Carrie*, *The Shining*, *The Dead Zone*, and *Christine*, an adult nightmare. Oh! *Children of the Core.
1: I read the story, so it originally appeared in like the late '70s in *Penthouse* '75 mm-hmm. or something. And the story is essentially the movie, um, save for I think several big missed details. If if Ari Aster was going to adapt this, he would have focused on the fact that the couple in the story like cannot drive in silence without getting into a fight. Like hmm. their marriage is over. And it like talks about like them being in counseling and like so and this is the last shot. They're going to move cities. They're going to move to Seattle to be closer to her family to try to reconcile their marriage. And that's an interesting way into this story. And they're in the middle of a fight when they hit the boy. So they're like already not on the same page. And then this movie kind of hangs on the idea of like, why is she saying this, but he's not listening? Why is he running off and leaving her? And I think it makes a lot more sense if you have that background. Because in the movie, they're just like a normal, like happy-go-lucky couple who like hits a kid.
0: Yeah, he's going to be a small town doctor somewhere. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't have those seeds of discord at all. Um, but I think
1: back to your question, though, of like, is it doomed? I think the problem with this one, I mean, the problem with all three of these movies to varying degrees is like the cult itself doesn't make any sense. No. Like, I think in this movie, if you're going to ground it in that prologue where you show the children like coming to power in that like weird violent diner scene, you need to then have cuz all the trappings are there like you have this community that is suffering from like a, a drought and the corn isn't growing yeah but you needed to have that leap of like people are so desperate that the if there's one person who stands up and is like hey guys like I know the way it's yeah. kill all the adults who have like overplanted their fields and you know listen to this supernatural force that's calling us from nature like that's the way we do it like without that scene yeah. The, the the cult itself doesn't hold a lot of weight.
0: Yeah, how is that not in the movie, honestly? It's like it's one of the few like it's just a gaping hole where you could plant so much interesting stuff. Cause I think the potential reads on like why this as like a horror trope is interesting are fascinating. That fear that people have of like the next generation having no empathy, having no morality. And really it just being a reflection of you being like, well, I haven't done very well myself and neither have my peers. So why would they ever take care of me? I think that is a deep and ongoing fear, but the fact that there's no like myth, maybe there's mythology in all the shitty sequels, but like what the hell? And also the scene you mentioned is a huge problem with this movie is that the opening scene in the diner for me is the most interesting scene in the movie. Um, it is. But it also it's the only shows- really
1: like action filled sequence.
0: But you've also shown how far they will go in the first 30 seconds. So every other knife inching toward a human body is just like, I already know what they can do. I know you're cutting away, bro. Well, (laughs) Well, that's what's good about Midsummer
1: is like it doesn't cut away when it should. Yep. This one like cuts away and you see like blood hit the little boy's face and it's like, oh, they just put the guy's hand through the meat slicer. But I like didn't actually
0: get to see like fingers coming off. Fritz director Fritz Kirsch loves to cut away Really does not this does not make the most Of its R rating in terms of scares Or camp
1: I would totally agree with that and you know that the effects Are there I mean this isn't like The 60s this is 84 mm-hmm. These movies But when exist. you say the
0: effects are there what do you mean By that well, what I
1: don't mean by that <laughs> Is saying Because you know someone had the conversation Of like what's the end gonna be like With the fire that's you know What's that about? Which is not in the story, uh, BTW. And somebody said, well, let's have it be like the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. Which is, what, six years before this? Mm-hmm. Four. Four years before this. And it, like, whoever did it, like, did it, but, like, didn't do it quite right. And what exactly. I'm talking about is, like, a, a cartoony sort of page master thing crossed with the production design of Tremors. Yeah. Where you have like the sand thing moving around. It's like, it's, "Why is there sand in this cornfield? Like shouldn't it be like hardy earth?" Like I I, I was you. raised in New Jersey, but I did go to the University of Nebraska and I know
0: picked up some that egg.
1: You don't you don't uh grow corn in sand.
0: No. Not unless you're getting the Tremors monster's help. And then if I can be a little bit more nitpicky. Yeah. The he behind, he who is
1: behind the rose. What is it? He, he something he like that is behind the rose is like an actual monster. Like right. that doesn't make any sense. Like the, what's scary about this premise and what's scary about cults in general is that it's like just brainwashed people. Mm-hmm. There's not an actual real monster like ordering them around.
0: Isn't that like a? St- I was trying to think back on this, and again, you you'll forever know King better than I do. But when I think about like his best work and his worst work, he's very good at like cartoony literalizations of evil, whether it be a car, a dog, or a clown, and he's very good at the evil that kind of like poisons all of us and our humanity, which is kind of more like in the Malachi character. But occasionally, he is he just comes out with like a nope, there's God or there's the devil. Whether it's like the shit in the Green Mile, or uh, some of the things that might go wrong in Doctor Sleep, forthcoming, frankly, is just like I don't need your literalization of like the all powerful here.
1: I think this movie, frankly, has like more in common with Hereditary than it does with Midsommar. Look at you, because it sort of it plays into this idea of like at the end of the day. Hell, like hell ain't it's just people. Hell is like, is hell. It's literally yeah. hell. Yep. And so, yeah, when you have this like goofy sand cartoon beast coming mm-hmm. at you in the last sequence here, it's sort of ridiculous because it kind of undercuts the idea that this actually could happen. Like, that's what I found so scary, like sort of about the other two kind of movies is that like, it's just people. Right so yeah yeah i don't know i think that's i mean but that's from the story too like the last line of the story is something like because in the story both the couple dies um the, the couple dies and the last line is like and then the corn was pleased
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh compare that to the end of this movie which is literally i'm not exaggerating um you know, the sort of like last killer alive, like this random girl who like really hasn't played that much of a role, like pops up in their back seat and she's like, I'll be the one to get you. And they fucking knock her out with the car door. And then Peter Horton, who plays Bert Stanton, goes, Oh boy. And then it's just the <laughs> end. <laughs> it's, just the end. Uh, it's pretty funny.
1: Um <laughs> yeah, this movie's like, I mean, pretty silly. Yeah, but you it's know, not fun enough. Peter Horton runs around a ton. For a town that's not that big, it certainly like has a lot of
0: stuff. I do like watching him just like book it around in jeans. And it really made a funny contrast with how much Nick Cage has to run in Wicker Man and how like the cardio is not there for my guy in two thousand six. Now no, Peter Horton's at the
1: in the prime of his life. He even stabbed in the in the arm.
0: Unfortunately that amounts to very little as he's just decidedly not William Hurt throughout the entire movie. He really isn't. Yeah. He he
1: lacks the the back sweat for William Hurt. Let me posit this chance and I, I alluded to it via text earlier, so it should come to, as no surprise. Do you think this is possibly an unlikely prequel to the film Dante's Peak? And I will tell you like let me state my case. Mm-hmm. Dante's Peak stars Linda Hamilton, who's clearly gotten over like this bad breakup and it finds her in the Pacific Northwest where they are headed. And I think they're going to live with, it's either her family or near his family, but let's just say for argument's sake, say it's his family, which is what happens in Dante's peak. Uh, Her ex-husband's mother lives on the titular peak. So maybe like her dealing with that kind of trauma of the dealing with the titular children at the behest of the titular corn she was not only instilled with survival instincts but the kind of leadership that could lead this town to being the second most desirable place to live in the pacific northwest in 1995 or whenever that
0: movie was made i think you've over harvested -harvested the field on that one okay but I wanted to let you, your Dante. You, nobody is more passionate about Dante's Peak than you. And there is some potential continuity. I will grant you. Can we rate this movie?
1: I just like this the the warm glow of thinking that like all movies are secretly like true stories just set in the movie world.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course.
1: So, <laughs> yeah. Let me have that. Uh, sure. I think this movie is a pretty easy bad bad. I don't know why it's a classic. I like don't get it. It's not creepy. The kid's acting is so bad as to be funny. I said something to the effect of like, this performance by Courtney Gaines is missing something. And I think Lucy said braces.
0: (laughs) Courtney Gaines'
1: teeth are very big. And as someone who was a teenager who had like big teeth before and like outward teeth before I got braces, I still have big teeth.
0: Uh, Damn, I want to do my thesis on Lucy's uh, Lucy's one-liners. She's a good one. Yeah, his but his
1: teeth are incredibly upsetting.
0: The face, the the face casting of the kids is perfect, and it's what makes that opening scene so striking. Because you're like, who the fuck are these kids? And then they talk.
1: Yeah, this movie's. I mean, as we've alluded to, not well made and not not that entertaining. Right. Speaking of a movie that's not well made and not really that entertaining, the chance is seen five times in his God. short life. Damn it. It's none other than Neil LeBute's two thousand six The Wicker Man. The I... remake that nobody asked for. Right. Let alone a Tony Award winning playwright.
0: Which is streaming as Noah said on HBO if you want to watch that shit for do Don't some watch it. <laughs> Well, then I think we can be fairly quick about this. I will say that I tried to take this movie as seriously as possible as to almost like to excise it from myself as a teenager who found a lot of joy in the sort of like, what's the most bad, good movie I can find as a 16 year old, spent a lot of time with the fucking Wicker Man, watched it way more than I should have like between 2006 and 2009 Um but I need to, you know, raise a five-story effigy to it today. I need to be done with the Please, 2006 burn remake down the Wicker Man. The Wicker Man, yeah. Um, so, the plot of this movie is incomprehensible. <laughs> <laughs> because, not the least of which, because it opens with like a 10-minute mystery that doesn't amount to anything. Which is that he's like a motorcycling California state police officer who like stops to pick a doll off the road of this creepy blonde girl and her single blonde mom. And he's like, I can get your doll for you. And uh, then he does and they get pancaked by an 18 wheeler. And of course, yeah, let it be said, I want to do my thesis on that. And then (laughs) (laughs) Nick Cage is very sad about this and he's on leave and he gets a letter from this woman who he was engaged to and ghosted him. Five years ago, and she's like, you've got to come to Summer's Isle in Puget Sound, outside Seattle. Is that what it's like? Where? Here? Puget Sound, the Pacific Northwest? I think it's a no to both. And he goes to the island, and it's just weird from the minute he sets foot on there. And I don't mean weird in like a, ooh, what a strange cult kind of way. I mean like it's weird as in like the movie has no Goddamn idea what it's doing, and you are watching Nick Cage have no idea what the movie is doing, and every single question he asks in the movie is also him being like, "What is happening in this film?" And then soon he's so frustrated he screams about it. It's a lady cult. It's a it's a it's a feminist may cult where like something's wrong with all the men. Why aren't they talking? Um, yeah,
1: but not in the sort of woke way that I think Midsommar is like a feminist kind of
0: no there's nothing like woke about this movie in the slightest it's asleep it's totally asleep (laughs) yes yeah edward i know that we haven't spoken in a few years i need your help i need your help i have a daughter her name is rowan she has been missing for two weeks now i fear she is in danger so now i turn to you be careful and believe nothing that you see or hear. Lost your bearings? Oh, hey, sorry. Snuck up on me there. This is private property. Do you know her? Hmm, I don't recognize this child. Welcome.
1: Nicolas Cage has famously stated that this is not, in fact, a terrible movie. It's a black comedy that has been totally bullshit. misidentified. And after bullshit. having watched this movie again, I have to say bullshit.
0: Yeah. But it's got Diane Weest in it It's got Molly Parker in it, um, it No, not said,
1: Diane Weist. Ellen Burstyn Fuck You've seen this movie five times Yeah, they, but those two look a lot Ain't alike Ain't no Hannah and her sisters
0: Okay, so the first thing that I've never known that went wrong But would be known to anyone who's seen the 1973 version of The Wicker Man Is, let me just walk you through that movie real quick Please Summer's Isle is a Scottish isle which immediately makes so much more goddamn sense because of the age and reputation and mysticism of Scottish Isles and not because of like cults that could be no more than like 80 years old in the Pacific Northwest. And it begins with this very Catholic, very stringent virgin police officer coming to the island to say, I got a letter about a missing girl. And he finds everyone on this island in 1973 to be very liberated, openly sexual. Um, to find like the whole thing is sort of like a Donovan song, and he's very uncomfortable with it. And it becomes a, in the same, it's very much like this movie, um, you know, in like what ultimately happens, but it is a brilliant clashing of like faith. And of the direction society that goes, uh, should go, and like who will get rolled over by like uh, somebody's idea of a wheel of progress. It gets into like what a cult leader does, how they might be fooling their people, the fruitlessness, pun intended, thereof. Um, the really weird thing that never dawned on me until I watched the original was that Nicholas Cage doesn't behave like a cop, he doesn't behave like an investigator.
1: Well, isn't the in the original one, it's more of him being sent to this island, whereas Nicolas Cage is sort of like on indefinite leave from the police force and just decides to go.
0: Yeah. Well, critically spoilers for the wicker man. Um, it's such a like remake idea too. You totally see where Neil Labute was coming from. Neil Labute was coming from on this bad idea, but Rowan turns out to be Nick Cage's daughter. So he thinks, right. which is not in the fucking original. <laughs> Right. It's a detective story.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. And then it also creates this... I mean, it, does it still have that weird dynamic of, like, is this all on his head?
0: Uh, Sort of, yeah.
1: Okay. Because that's, um, like, kind of what's, I think, like, maybe most annoying about this movie is that, like, oh, this little blonde girl who died in this thing, oh, and you're looking for a little blonde girl, it's just sort of, like, beating you over the proverbial face.
0: But yeah, the, does the remake make any sense to you?
1: Um, no. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me, and it also feels like it was like shot out of order or something because there are so many scenes where Nicolas Cage is like at an eleven, and you're like, in the last when you were running from the last set piece, you were like totally phoning it in. Right. So what you have is this bizarrely uneven performance where his intentions don't even make sense, like shot to shot.
0: Yeah, yeah. One minute he'll be like, you know, listening to like a not very good actor kind of half explain what's going on, and the next he'll be screaming for his life. How to well, get burned. there's that
1: scene where he gets locked overnight in that like water sewer thing, and then he gets out and he's like out of breath and like Which is waterlogged.
0: The and second then he time just he's starts, been in a water cage in the movie,
1: right? And he starts screaming famously, "How did the doll get?" burned right the doll being what was in the coffin of his supposed daughter yes how did he get he says
0: it three or four times how to get burned how to get burned how to get burned i don't know i was reading an interview with uh molly parker who plays the teacher in this movie who's a fave of mine uh from deadwood and she was good in the first couple seasons of house cards um we don't talk about that show anymore I just said Molly Parker was good on it. Give me a fucking break. Um, you know who wasn't good on it? Doug Stamper.
1: Oh, I went nuts for Doug.
0: I know. I'm just hassling you. So she had no idea. She was just like, we knew the movie. Whatever happened wouldn't be mediocre. Uh, and they're like, what do you She's remember She's certainly from it? right about that. And she was like, well, I really found Nicholas Cage to just be a very interesting man and that's all I'll say. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's everybody's reaction to him in this movie as they like sort of spar over, you know, she's the teacher. Um You're the biggest liar of all. You're the- <laughs> You're little liars. Another let me <laughs> let me paint for you like a, another kind of contrast. That scene in the original wicker man, he goes into the class and he's again, he's offended because he's like a conservative catholic. And they're teaching um, This sort of like Anti-patriarchal thing And he opens the desk And there's a It's Rowan's desk And in the 73 version There's a beetle With a string tied to it Slowly wrapping around a nail And they're all laughing And it's like There's that sense Of dread And you're like But it's so innocuous But it's also so creepy And it's It's great atmosphere. There's a great metaphor there. And when Nick Cage opens the desk and this, a crow flies out and he goes, wow, it's a bird. Who would do this? (laughs) Who would do such a cruel thing? It doesn't matter for shit.
1: No. Very weird and like not that scary. What is in the bag though? Like what do you think is in the bag? Do you think it's a shark?
0: The way they... (laughs) The way they bag him up at the end, I thought it was like supposed to be a callback to like the last person they did it to, but the timeline doesn't match up nor is the movie like that smart. But the bag's bleeding, but he never looks in the bag. They he does look in the bag. They show oh, right. him what's in the bag and then they like snap it at him and he's like, "Oh." And then he, he never comes back. He never sees what's
1: in the bag. They're like, "If you really want to look in the bag, look in the bag." And then they snap it at him and he doesn't see what's in the
0: bag. I thought he might have, and just never said anything.
1: What he, he saw—he's so he, known that they like kill people since like the, the first moment he got there, and he's like, "I'm going to proceed with this movie as if nothing's happened."
0: That, I mean, that's totally. Can something you swing this movie it? Would do. What kind of city talk is that? Swing it. <laughs> Let's let me get the line out of how he describes being. Do it a in the only if you cop. do it in the Nicolas Cage voice. They're like, uh, "Who are you?" And he goes, "I'm a cop." And they like look at him as if to be like, what is cop? And he goes, you know, I, I do what I can for people. I, I help them out. Yeah, it's sort of Nicolas Cage riffing on what
1: he thinks a police officer does. I'm sort of a uh, for hire do-gooder.
0: The problem with this movie, and it's like not a problem you realize until you see a movie this incompetent. But Nicholas Cage has never heard of a cult. Nor have these people who masterminded this crazy plan to get him here, like, nor have they ever heard of anything on the mainland. And in a movie, in, like, 1973, you could understand, like, somebody being horrified by, like, ooh, what is going on, like, post-Vietnam on these islands. In 2006, it's like, Nick, you know what a cult is, right? Like, the people who go to, (laughs) when they go to the field in Midsommar, like, they understand what like pagans are and what like they're, living they're
1: off. They're the, going to do their thesis on it.
0: They have yes, they have expectations around it, and so every question Nick asks is like, "It's like what is that?" It's like it's a at least know it's a cult thing, even if you don't know what they're doing. It's too preoccupied with the bees, I think. Right. This movie,
1: it it feels some of the scenes like bad improv. Uh, like I joked with you earlier, Chance, that it feels like those Ricky Gervais. Uh, <laughs> What's that show called?
0: Life's Too Short.
1: It feels like this Life Too Short episode with Liam Neeson trying to do improvisational comedy. Let's just do our own accents and get this done, shall we? Okay, green grocer. Tring. We're closed. I think the shop has to be opened for us to do the sketch. Okay. Okay, sorry. Where either they'll like make these ridiculous leaps or they'll just sort of like shut each other down. It's so the second like, one. Yeah, the second one's more pointed But like, there's that great When he walks into the the tavern at the beginning He's like just introduced himself outside As the cop from California And they they haven't come with him The people he's introduced himself to And he goes in and the the bartender The proprietor's just like So you're that cop from California (laughs) And without questioning her He just looks her dead in the eye and goes Yes (laughs) But then later he's like I'm a cop from California. This is like official cop business. And she's like, you're from, we're in Washington. Like right. your authority doesn't make any difference here, which is like not a thing
0: that like raises the stakes of this movie at all. It's a movie that is so out to sea. Like, I don't even really know where the beats are supposed to be. Cause he'll just be wandering through a forest. I mean, it's like totally Midsommar's rhythm gone wrong. And he'll find all those men and they'll like be loading logs onto a cart and he'll be like let me help you and all the logs fall off the cart he's like oh and then he walks away <laughs> it's like i don't i don't know what this beat of the story is even supposed to do i think the last point i have before i rate this is the only thing i think is one of this movie is interesting in his imdb because it's it is the absolute end of until like recently maybe With like mom and dad and Mandy Like diving deep very earnestly Into the cage craziness But it's off the fucking rails Cause you've got You have matchstick men Weathermen Lord of War This kind of thing in the early aughts Where he's kind of Family man Where he's kind of like an unlikely movie star Where it's just like How did this guy Get yeah, in all the these like
1: Shoe drops right around Wicker
0: Man Yeah, yeah. How did this weirdo get in all these Like 50 million dollar <laughs> PG-13 movies How is this working This is and not then... my beautiful house <laughs> And then it doesn't Then Wicker Man comes out Then Ghost Rider comes out And then he's just off the fucking reservation Because <laughs> th- Na- National Treasure 2 knowing Like it's, it's done, it's over Like this it's The not the, not, the, not the bees meme E.E. E. <laughs> Thank you. The Not the Bees meme, this is the moment it becomes like a simulacrum for Nicolas Cage, the person. And then Andy Samberg finishes the job. Like, we haven't (laughs) seen Nicolas Cage since this movie came out, except in something like this. It's when
1: he began asking the existential question, why am I not in that movie? Exactly.
0: That's it. There was definitely a time when I would have said, a teenage time, this was the epitome of bad good. But I've just... No. I'm I'm done. Especially having seen the original Wicker Man, finding it really good, but also being like mad that like I can't enjoy this movie because I like I can only see it in association to this like much shittier one. Uh, I'm done with this film. I've excised the demon. It's a bad bad. Yeah, there's two sort of
1: interesting pieces of information juxtaposed on the Wicker Man's IMDb profile. Oh my. One of them in gold reads bottom rated movies number 69 <laughs> but then i think the more sort of that sad right. w- way in which this kind of movie like fits into a hollywood framework is its next airtime is friday morning at 5:55 a.m. wait what do you mean on Where? hbo
0: oh like yeah. this is the
1: kind of shit that like it's weird enough to still be on like a a premium channel first thing in the morning 5:55
0: <laughs> a.m. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> um Yeah I think if I was like a little like snobbier and more tasteful too, you might be actually mad that was like, Oh, my favorite or older as well. My favorite cult movie for like thirty years got made into this like shitty forty million dollar movie that like a bunch of people saw but nobody liked. Like it's well it went yuck. from being a cult movie to a
1: cult film. Huh. You like that there? Huh. I do. But it's definitely bad, bad. 100% bad, bad. I don't, don't even think it's like so good it's bad. I just think it's bad.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm too old to watch this movie again, ever again. Don't do it, buddy. You, you 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 assigned it to me. I've had a conversation with my 16-year-old self. We're
1: outie. Once it goes on the list of the B-Real movies, it never has to be watched again.
0: I think that's true with a lot of like our bad bads. It's like okay, that is crossed off forever.
1: Yeah, it's, there's uh, too
0: there's too many movies.
1: It's excommunicado, as they say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, okay, my friend. Let's not join cults. Let's yeah. I no. feel like as attractive as they sometimes appear, it you, it's always like somebody's hitting you on the back of the head with a mallet, or somebody's wearing your face. Right. Or someone's trying to make you go into a, a bee hat.
0: Oh, what's that? <laughs> I actually think, having seen this movie too many times, that is funnier to me than not the bees is the moment where Nicolas Cage like clearly knows what it is because like he's building up to this performance, but he still has to rhetorically ask, "Oh, what's that?" <laughs> <laughs> the script still
1: calls for the line, "What's that?
0: <laughs> what, what that?"
1: What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh no, not the bees! Not the beast. Ah! Oh, my eyes! My eyes!
0: Ah! ah! Devoted followers. Please subscribe and uh, listen to more shows at berealpodcast.com. We are normally on the playlist.net, though not this episode, did you hear how weird we sounded, how unprofessional it was? Uh, you can find us all over the place. SoundCloud, uh, Spotify. Apple, wherever you get your shows, we should be there. Uh, Instagram and Twitter are nice places to find us if you want to interact and and whatnot. Noah, what else, buddy?
1: Anything? I think everyone should follow us on Instagram. I feel like we've gotten very good at it. Mm. And the 70 people or 40 people or however many people follow us are getting premium content.
0: Absolutely. Something
1: that we could easily start a Patreon for and collect their money, but we won't.
0: We would make them pay to follow us on Instagram? You think the content that I think that, that good? would be... That's I think insane. the content is that good. That is insane.
1: Should I post my poster of... I should have done it yesterday if I was going to do it because nobody's yeah. fucking talking about Eric Swalwell <laughs> dropping out of the... Oh, I mean, I'm sure you'll be able to post it again. Never. Um... <laughs> <laughs> when, he, when he re-enters just to leave.
0: That would be great. Thank you, Eric. I forgot my notes. Um... Alright, buddy. I'll talk to you next time. Can't wait.